0: May I please have your full and undivided attention? It is time for the paranormal rundown. Hello, this is Cedric Dankwell Smythe. I'd like to welcome all fans of the paranormal, the unusual, the slightly off-kilter, the frightening, the terrifying, the horrifying, and simply the occasionally entertaining. This is the Paranormal Rundown. There's no place else like it. We now have 2,323 topics from which to choose. Father Mike, Vic, JJ, Dave, and... This week's guest, Jessica, will make short talk of those, though. The four hosts seem to forget that they're ever-so-talented and humble butlers, in fact, a highly talented psychic. For this episode, I predict a great deal of fun, at least occasional mayhem, some controversy, a few things that might get people's panties in a wad, and that you will learn things you've never heard before.
1: Hello, everybody. This is the recently COVID attacked Vic, Vic Hermanson. See, I just almost forgot my name there. Um, I am not at 100%, but I'm well above 80%, which is a whole lot better than I've been doing. Uh, welcome to the Paranormal Rundown for Jessica's edification. Uh, The Paranormal Rundown, we, this is the 14th episode, I believe. Is that correct, Dave? Yes. We're going to be doing an episode tonight, an episode next Thursday, and an episode next Saturday. It's going to be Paranormal Rundown Central for a little while. To get ourselves back ahead of the curve, the Paranormal Rundown list is now at 2,322 topics. Now, When the Paranormal Rundown list started with Dave and JJ, I believe it was at 108, and we had a blast. I never expected it to go beyond about 108 topics or so, but uh, probably the Vic Hermanson uh, obsessive-compulsive disorders kicked in, and I simply couldn't stop. What started off as just the top paranormal topics? has now expanded into philosophy, unusual religions, unusual aspects of mainstream religions, unusual Bible verses, unusual verses from other religions. It's really become a compendium of pretty much all knowledge on the fringe. And the more I look at it, the more I find myself thinking, Man, this is a really weird thing. I doubt if anything else like this exists anywhere else in the world. But maybe it does. Maybe there's someone as weird as I am. So our guest tonight is Jessica Birdsong. And she is the daughter of Father Birdsong. Our understanding is that she is somewhat of a C.S. Lewis scholar. Probably a scholar about a great many other things. (laughs) So it is going to be myself. Father Michael Birdsong, Dave Griffith, J.J. Johnson, and Jessica. So, Jessica, if you wouldn't mind, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself, then we will start the rundown.
2: Okay. Um. Yep, yeah, I'm Jessica Birdsong Clay. I'm married, and I grew up in my dad's church, and I'm a super fan of C.S. Lewis. And I have enough instruments in my home to cater to a whole band.
1: Are you one of those people who plays them all?
2: I am a jack of all trades and a master of none.
1: Excellent. <laughs> you, you, you could be a John Fogerty. You could just play all the instruments on your next album. Yeah,
2: <laughs> one man band.
1: <laughs> well, John Fogerty said he was a pretty good garage band. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so do you know how the rundown works?
2: A little bit, yeah. I know y'all talk about a little bit of everything, and you have a randomizer, so. All
1: right. The randomizer is up and running. And so I'm going to move you guys to the other screen so I can see the full randomizer. Now, we select six topics uh, randomly. Whatever comes up, comes up. If they're a terrible set of topics, then we can discard them. If there's something that anybody wants particularly to talk about, we can. And if there's a topic that someone particularly says, man, I don't want to go there, we probably won't go there. So, one, two, three, four, five, and here we are. Okay. <clears throat> Our first topic is a modest proposal written by Jonathan Swift in 1729. Our second topic is the Cottingley Fairies, the Fairy Investigation Society, the Fairy Census, uh Arthur Conan Doyle and his uh, relationship to the fairies. The third topic is Saint Christopher. Did he actually exist? Was he the protector of Jesus? Was he a giant? Number four is ability: psychokinesis or telekinesis. Number five is phantom or visiting hitchhiker hikers. Uh, and number six is. Speculation about the minimal minimal possession, demonic possession, of billions of human minds at the same time. I think it's a pretty decent set. I don't. You don't think it's a pretty decent set. (laughs) The
3: last one is okay, but yeah, other ones, I have nothing. (laughs) Same. That's what I was going to say. The last one...
4: (laughs) Yeah, the last one we could do, but the rest of them, trash it.
1: All right. I'm I'm, I'm all right with trashing it. That's why we have 2,322 topics. Um, Hitting the F9 key again is not going to be a problem. Okay, so hitting F9T, one, two, three, four, five. Uh, uh, Let's see. Okay, our second set of six is... Number one, Physical Appearance of Demons. Number two, replicants. Both Blade Runner and philosophical discussion of the implications of replicants. Number three is psychometry. Number four is cryogenically frozen bodies or heads for future resurrection. Number five is the Jersey Devil. And number six is the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, dear Lord. That
3: was so interesting. <laughs> JJ, there you go. <laughs> Well, Dead Sea Scrolls is right up my alley, but yeah. I also like Number One. Yep.
1: Well, why don't you and uh, Jessica fight it out? Because I'm okay with either. Truth is, I will probably be less verbal than I normally am because I can only talk for so long before my throat starts to go. Ah! And that's exactly what it's doing. Um, So, Well, my brain is not
3: fully here because I have a puncture wound in my eye from an injection. And
1: it it is highly distracting. Whoa, I bet. Oh, man. Well, Jessica, since you're the guest, what would you like to talk about?
2: Uh, I'm familiar with a few of these. I would love to hear JJ talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls.
4: Jessica, you just open something up and I hope they're ready for your conversation. <laughs> and <laughs> I've heard again. a little bit
2: about the Jersey Devil and a, a few of these.
3: Oh yeah. Jersey Devil's a good one too.
4: Okay. More Let's go with Dead Scrolls then. Y'all y'all go for it.
3: All righty. Okay.
4: So. Dead Sea Scrolls.
2: He had to take off his hood for that.
1: Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. We, need, we, need, we need the aerodynamic, JJ. From, <laughs> just don't let the light shining off my
3: bald plate blind you. Um, Alrighty, so Dead Sea Scrolls found by, at least according to the story, by, it was a series of caves in Qumran and it was discovered by a bedouin boy who was out searching for his goat he happened to throw a stone randomly and rather than shattering against a cliff it fell and he heard a shattering sound from inside and it was a cave and in this cave were a ton of pots and within these pots were very ancient documents. Come to find out, they are writings, or at least the, as as much as we have, uh, writings of, based upon the works of Josephus, from the Essenes, which were a, another sect of Judaism, just like you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Essenes were highly deviant at least in judaism terms they did not believe in a lunar in a lunar calendar they actually believed in a solar calendar much to the difference of every other sect out there and they also lived in a community away from the rest of the israelites and they actually had a primary teacher at least according to what we can gather from the scrolls um, and they would lead the community and the other notable piece about the Essenes themselves was that they honestly believed that they were living in the end times They had an enemy that they, through a code name, referred to as the Katim, which we understand to be the Romans. And they were the heralds of the end of the world. And it was angels who were going to come down and fight alongside them in order to preserve their beliefs. And in the war scroll, They depicted all of the rules and regulations that one could possibly think of whenever fighting alongside an angelic coast to the point where it dictated how far out the latrines should be dug in order not to defile their Holy Spirit. But the one notable thing about the Dead Sea Scrolls is... They give us the earliest snapshot of early Jewish writings that we have ever had, biblical or not. Up to that point, the oldest text that had been, the oldest Bible that we had in our possession was from the 10th century CE, Only a thousand and some change years old. Now, with the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have something that dates from before zero BCE, before zero CE. So, roughly around a hundred BCE or so. So, that was amazing. Uh, And it also demonstrated that, at least to the Essenes, but we believe to everyone else that they believed that there were two other books that were considered canonical, the Book of Jubilees and the Book of First Enoch, both of which belong officially to the pseudepigrapha or the the writings of false epitaphs that only the Ethiopic Orthodox Church believed still to be holy. And that is in a nutshell the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now there is a lot of uh academic information that could be passed on i did an entire episode around the dead sea scrolls for if you wants a little bit more deeper knowledge into that but essentially from 1947 when um, the academic study and piecing together of the scrolls began until 1997 these scrolls were controlled by the Israeli government, and a select number of academic institutions in the U.S. that had complete control over them, and nobody else had access to what the scrolls were until finally enough information had been released through conferences over the decades that they were able to piece together the remainder of the scrolls, which forced them to relinquish um control. And that's when everyone else got to. And actually in my last year of college we were the one college that uh, bought access to these uh, scrolls and taught a course on them. Um, and actually our like our uh, dean uh, went on, well, president, went on the talk show circuit to actually talk about how impressive this was, but that's not, and it was just four of us that were in the class that were studying it,
1: but. I wanna ask some practical questions. Sure. Uh, or talk about some practical issues. How old were the boys who found who found these Roles. How old? Yeah, how old were they? I mean, were they 10-year-olds? Were they 15-year-olds? Were they? I have no idea, honestly. No idea. My, my, the picture in my mind has always been that we're dealing with a shepherd boy. Um, you know, someone who's, think I'm thinking, 13, 14. And one of the things about 13 and 14-year-olds all over the world is that they're often destructive. And really enjoy doing things like throwing rocks at old clay pots and things like that. I think it's kind of amazing that the scrolls essentially were recovered no more damage than they were from a couple of thousands of years of sitting in a cave.
3: Um, I would agree with that. Luckily, in Qumran, it's very dry. mm -hmm. That helped with the preservation effort tremendously. However, you still find a ton of decomposition. And it took the team years upon years. In fact, um, when I was at Harvard, one of my uh, classes was taught by Professor Strugnell, who was the head of the entire arm of research for governing the scrolls he was at the time he was a very elderly british gentleman um, who had been disgraced from academia essentially but he was great friends with um, the professors that were that was teaching our class who was visiting from the university of jerusalem i believe and so he came in and taught a course and he would tell the story of how he would wake up in the middle of the night realize, oh no, this girl fragment should really go it over, over here. session. He would run downstairs in his apartment and then switch things around and figure out how it should go. Um, but yeah, the, the entire. And the last thing I'll say is that just in terms of the language itself, um, you'll f- mostly find that a lot of the uh, prayers end in a very uh, similar tone uh, or similar phrase of. I mean, I mean shiloch, which is verily, verily truthfully, and I absolutely love that. But the writing style, the orthography of the Hebrew script that's used is... It's beautiful, but it can be extremely difficult to read sometimes because the the Vovs, or as they say in modern Israeli, the the uh, we say wows in Tiberian Hebrew, but the Vovs are very, very similar, if not indistinguishable from the yos, and it makes it a, a challenge to read at times.
1: So is that a matter of, uh, of a vote? I mean, do scholars get together and say, okay, if we read this... In this manner, this word says X. You
3: you have to read it in context. If you don't, context will usually very clearly tell you. Will usually
1: tell you what the word is? Exactly. How much did it cost for your college to buy access to that?
3: I don't know for sure, but it had to be over. It was published by Brill who they, they make, they publish phenomenal work, some of the best work in the entire academic field when it comes to biblical studies, but they also charge who the asked for that. Um, so it probably cost a northward of five to 10 K.
1: I was thinking a lot more than that actually. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was thinking like 100k. But...
5: JJ, there's I'm I'm looking at just the Wikipedia on here. It says there's 981 texts of the Dead Sea Scrolls. I, as this is essentially somebody's library, right? I mean, that's the way we look at this. This is a yes. collection of books that can span from serious religious theologic texts to prayers to ways to live. I mean, it's a, it's, it runs the gamut in terms of content, right? It does. Well, you
3: don't really find too many like practical pieces or non-religious texts in there. Um, But yeah, I mean, it is their, it is their library and they would only usually devote a lot of effort into the writings that were extremely important um so that's why the majority of it is either the hebrew text, the hebrew bible uh or the text in which they consider canonical or the most important prayers and before i shut up there is one prayer that is my favorite uh it is uh 4q 5 10 and 11 meaning that was found in the oh i remember phase. that one Yeah, (laughs) it it goes essentially, Ani, Mashkil, and I, the instructor, am making a proclamation of his glorious splendor, meaning God's, in order to instill dread and to terrify all of the spirits of the angels of destruction, meaning the watchers, the spirits of the bastards, meaning the Nephilim, um, spirits of the demons, Lilith, howlers, desert dwellers and those who suddenly strike in suddenness to lead astray an established spirit and to charm hearts meaning that nobody is safe and there's an entire concept that's been hypothesized about time itself being a temple and because they would have a solar calendar, a day with the inaccurate time measurements they have would equal to 364 days in a year, meaning that each side of this theoretical temporal temple would have 90 days, meaning that there were four days left over and these were the four days of trouble in which these spirits of the watchers and the Nephilim and every other bad thing that came out of the desert, L could inflict very you know rigorous harm upon the community itself.
5: Okay, what? so that raises a question. I uh, and you know we just recently talked about the whole deal in Miami for uh, for trailer trash tears. Um, we did that discussion on the Nephilim and the the. Aliens and whatever may have happened there. But somebody made a comment on one of the videos that I saw that, well, this could only happen to be the Nephilim if it was one of those days of, what did you call it, a day of terror? Day of trouble. Of trouble. A day of trouble. And that that's the only way it could have happened if it to be the Nephilim because the Nephilim are bound except for on those days. Is that from a... I know you've read the pseudepigraphy and the other books much more than I have in terms of, you know, because they're not mentioned in the Bible very much. So does that fit with that? Is that are the Nephilim tend to be bound to, you know, not be able to interact with the world except for on those days? Or is this the only place that that's really talked about?
3: So that idea of the ne- so the nephilim really all of Genesis six, or they are the primary subject matters of. Most of the uh, book of Enoch and the book of Jubilees. So that's where those ideas primarily come from. And it's pretty much Enoch in which mm, is the source material for a lot of this stuff. And according to the book of Enoch, the the spirits of the Nephilim, because they were such abominations in that they were the abhorrent mixture of spirit and flesh that even after uh, Gabriel sent them into battle against one another and they all killed themselves, they couldn't die. So their spirits are still out there in the ether somewhere floating around. And at least there's this, uh, there is an idea that only on the days of trouble could these various spirits Do any harm, but you'd essentially have to take First Enoch to be a holy book again in order to even consider that. Because that the entire idea is um, um, apostry to every other major organized religion.
5: So there are other perspectives in which the Nephilim could be free and creating havoc not bound just to those four days
3: well to every other religion they are the nephilim once existed and they no longer are uh it's really only in first enoch and jubilees do they provide a reason why it kind of explains what genesis 6 truly is and it's enoch that gives the idea that they are still around in the ether somewhere
5: Because I and I don't know where I've heard this, but I have also heard a perspective where the Nephilim are because they're dead and they were technically they don't have human souls or not a traditional human soul that they are the ones that possess people versus fallen angels. And not saying I prescribe to that, but that is a theory that I've heard thrown out there because they are these spirits that are out there. They have no place to go. And in theory, the the demons have been cast down. So I don't know. Yeah, I
3: I thoroughly do not believe in that. But can I point to something that says this is absolutely not true? No, I, I, <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't even begin to.
5: <laughs> Did you,
3: what is a howler? Ah, so they are the, if you look in Isaiah, it gives a list of the bad creatures that exist in the desert, Dudael, and they are not limited to owls, jackals, uh hyenas uh live which are uh, at that point just a simple night hag spirit not this first wife of adam stuff um and that's directly inherited from akkadian mythology but yeah a howler is just another word for one of these four-legged animals that make cries in the desert either a jackal or hyena or something along those lines
5: i thought they were monkeys
3: Not for that region, but it would be a
1: good guess. (laughs) Well, in the, I suppose I'm the only person who has ever slept in the Australian desert. Um, fun for you. But there, (laughs) oh, I've done that so many times, my gosh. (laughs) But there are dingoes out there, and they do howl. I mean, so they eat your baby. I didn't have any babies that I had taken <laughs> along with me but but, but but that woman has been vindicated i i I think eventually they said yeah the dingo that ate this baby, but there's a that sound is <laughs> at first absolutely terrifying you're 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 in the desert you're in this tent you're cold after the it's been a hundred and 31 degrees that day. Um, but you're, you're cold there at night. And you're thinking, I don't need to take a very good sleeping bag because it gets so dang hot during the day. Hmm. Bad, bad, bad idea. It gets cold at night. But I can understand why a desert people would be afraid of something that went howling in the desert. Right. Oh, heck yeah, just sitting on my mom's
3: back porch in Tennessee, and you hear a chorus of coyotes just yapping their heads off in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah, yeah. More than enough to send shivers into the spine.
1: So once they started bringing these fragments into the academic world, then... I can only assume there had to be all kinds of Indiana Jones kind of things where people were showing up with, you know, whole other segments that, oh, look what we found. Um, oh, yeah. In fact, this is one of the
3: things that pissed people off the most because you've just imagine you're a professor. You have been working for a year or vastly multiple more on this new piece of research, this new idea. You bring it forth to a conference. You're really hopeful that it's gonna be received well. And then you are upstaged by a person who came in from the ivory tower that has access to this very valuable information that no one else has. And they present a paper that overshadows
1: everything that could have ever possibly been said. So the last eight years of your life were, if they were not wasted, were spent on an effort that only gave you internal satisfaction. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Oh, and they turned the rest of the (laughs) academic world against them. Oh, I bet they did, yeah.
1: I I can't imagine that there wasn't kind of hatred and... Know, maybe even sabotage and that kind of thing oh but,
3: yeah I mean if you take just your regular academic department which is bitchy right, anyway politics and yeah every and that's just putting it nicely and then you blow that up and you put a bomb in the in the middle of all that oh gosh I mean I'm, the thing is that I got to see it from both the outside in and then the inside out and it was fascinating on both levels
1: i know i'm peppering you with questions and i don't normally do this but look you're the you're the scholar here you're the expert you know more than all of us combined concerning this topic maybe everything but i wouldn't go that far <laughs> am i getting my sources mixed up and that there was at least one scroll that was made of copper or something like that yes. that, that couldn't would, be properly unrolled, and the scholars continue to try to figure out a way to to read this thing, and now they're doing MRIs on it. Anyway, I'll I'll stop.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, it's called the Copper Scroll it's beautiful Uh, they uh, they absolutely could not enroll it because they would destroy it in the process Uh, however through ultrasound they were able to get copies of what the thing says at least mostly and you can find numerous translations as to that um, to what it says off the top of my head I haven't read in a long long time I'm talking in the neighborhood of like 25 years so I don't quite remember but yeah uh, you you can find translations of it.
1: What was the most astounding, surprising, dangerous thing that was found in translating these scrolls?
3: Nothing so it it confirmed a lot of suspicions that there were extra canonical works that were being preserved and considered holy. We had the sense of that, but this was the first time we could directly prove that that was the case. That was interesting. I wouldn't say that there was anything particular that was dangerous. Now, if this was a mainstream sect such as the Pharisees or the Sadducees, and we found out they had some really surprising ideas of how the world worked, then that would be one thing, but that didn't hold true. The most dangerous thing that really came out of the Dead Sea Scrolls were all of the crazy ideas and people rushing to create horrendous books on it uh, (laughs) that propagated nothing but falsities. The one that really springs to mind is this awful book that came out when I was in college. I don't think it was, it wasn't particularly about the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it it mixed in enough uh, biblical mumbo jumbo to try to convince people that, you know, it had the right way of doing things. And it's a book called
1: The Bible Code. Have you ever heard of it? Oh, man. And I've heard of the Bible code. I've heard of that.
3: In fact, my one of my best friend's father's, he had bought it and was just raving about it and had passed it on to my best friend who started to read it and was like being slowly swayed into maybe there's something here. And we on a trip, uh, to I think it was to a Model UN conference, we looked at him and we all just started laughing in his face and that was enough to convince him that, okay, maybe there's not something here, but we then spent the next like eight hours completely trashing every argument that they had together. It, it, it was a lot of fun. Well, can't,
1: can't, you. You, can't you just take essentially any book of sufficient length and depending upon the algorithms that you use, find dang near anything in it that you want? Probably.
3: Oh yeah well then i mean you have the very traditional concepts of jewish numerology and you know you you can break down each word you know the, the way that the hebrew alphabet works is that each letter can also equal a number and if you look at the numerology of genesis the very first uh, chapter It lines up beautifully. I mean, it is really, uh, there's a lot of symmetry going on. It could be by coincidence, but, um, you know, at least according to the Jewish faith, it absolutely is not. Um, But, yeah, I mean, so Gematria and the rest of these have been around for centuries. So there's nothing new at looking at these things and trying to glean extra information that comes out of it. Um, But, yeah. I'll leave it at that.
2: Yeah, I think there's probably something to some of it, but some of the Bible code thumpers get a little too emphatic about it. I've known a few.
1: (laughs) Well, tell tell us about them. I've really only seen uh, YouTube thumpers. I've never been in a room (laughs) to talk with someone about this.
2: Um, I mean... I never really got interested in it, so I would zone out a lot when they would go on. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I did have someone at a church of mine, and she would teach, and some of it was like you know JJ was saying, and it was interesting and seemed non coincidental. But some of it is just you're kind of reading into every little thing, and I think that getting to that point is a little this, this dangerous. Is where, this is
1: where you're looking for information rather yeah. than finding the information that's there.
2: Or, yeah, or that's m- the key difference.
1: manufacturing information,
2: right? So,
1: you know my my favorite past genius weirdo scholar, um, Gage. <laughs> 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 you haven't heard the Gage stories, Jessica. I, I knew a they're the I, best stories. I knew a guy in Houston who's still probably the smartest person I've ever met, but man, that guy was weird. Um, <laughs> I mean I feel he, like
2: most geniuses are
1: <laughs> weird 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 weird. Well anyway, he had read everything he could find about the Dead Sea scrolls. He was angry that the Dead Sea scrolls were not more readily available. It really made him mad. Mm. Uh, I mean he had money and he was willing to put forth money to actually read these Dead Sea scrolls or to actually see them. I don't know if he could read them. But he came to the conclusion that Jesus was an Essene, and that the time between, say, 12 and 30, that's where Jesus was, was studying with the Essenes. Anybody, I, all I have is Gage's belief that that was the case. What did he base that on? He based that on everything that he could read. Well, first part of what he based it on was Isaac Newton. You know, I don't know if you know this, but Isaac Newton wrote more about Jesus than anything else. Oh yeah, yeah. He wrote more. I mean, yes, he wrote the Principia. He wrote, you know, uh, laws of optics, laws of motion, a lot of thermodynamics. You know, all that kind of stuff. And that's you know, he did the calculus. Yeah, I mean, he he did some important stuff. In the actually kissed a girl at some point. We really should have. Yeah. Um, but- <laughs> <laughs> really, really should have at least tried I mean you know but but the main thing that he spent his life writing about was jesus hmm. and well, and that, and so also uh alchemy to a certain degree yeah. go, ahead. go ahead father father
4: well no it was it's was just the whole spending that many years with the ASEANs, that would that just flies in the face of. The gospel of saint luke when mary and joseph took christ to the temple Mm -hmm. you know the whole story of simeon and everything and how he got lost well they thought he was lost but he was at the temple uh teaching and uh all the priests and everybody was astounded at him and they, you know, where were you? And Jesus said, well, where do you think I would be? Where do you, you think
1: I'd be? Him. Wouldn't and you look for me in my father's house or something exactly. like that? Exactly.
4: Yeah. But but then it goes on to also say that Jesus, he, right after that whole situation, they went back to Nazareth. He submitted himself to Joseph and to his father's house.
1: Yeah. So, who promptly took him to the Essenes. Yeah. Uh. <laughs>
5: I mean,
6: there's
1: nothing that says that as a player. I mean, uh, he said, I'm just like, oh, okay, you know, listen, uh, he, you know, we could sit here and talk about. I mean, well, he, Joseph he was, was apparently. I mean, the the word, my understanding is that the word associated with Joseph is tecton, okay, which really means builder more so than than carpenter. Okay, so so Joseph was probably pretty serious. He, you know, probably knew how to deal with stone and how to get work crews together and all that kind of thing, but. There's nothing that says he couldn't have taken Jesus to the Essenes.
3: Well, and your friend wouldn't be the first person who had come up with that theory. There are similarities between some of the teachings of Christ and some of the things that the Essenes have done. Now, I have not looked into it. I couldn't tell you what those similarities are. Um, But, yeah, I mean, but it's... No one takes that argument seriously,
1: at least because there's not enough there. There's no evidence to base it on. Justify it, right? Right. Other than similarities in stated doctrine, I guess. Right. Well, look, you know, out of all this, there, this, this really is a fascinating topic. It really probably deserves a lot more than a rundown segment. But how far do you have to put your latrines away from the (laughs) angels?
3: I don't remember how many cubits it had to be. I will have to go look that up. <laughs> I don't want well,
1: to make that I... mistake. <laughs> 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 I mean, I, I, look, I mean, a ticked off angel because you put the latrine too close, that's a bad day.
5: Certainly. Pretty are, sure. are you digging latrines sometime soon there, Vic? Uh,
1: something I should know about? <laughs> the snow melts, I'm not sure what's going to go on, but... <laughs> all right all right so as usual jj has the wonderful deep understanding academically of this um but i think that's a decent rundown coverage of the of the dead sea scrolls anybody have any final thoughts or words they'd like to put out
5: i I do have one one final question and, and i don't know if it'll go very far or not but in terms of what what does the discovery mean biblically because that I'm assuming that most of the books, if not all, that were in the Dead Sea Scrolls were, uh, you mentioned the Hebrew Bible. So from a Christianity standpoint, Old Testament. Were there any New Testament books? No. At all? No.
3: No. This was the, the time period of these scenes that you're talking at least. 150 years, if not 200 years, before uh, Christ would have died. And then you would actually have, because you didn't have written works appear until 30 or 40 years, until after his passing, I believe. Uh, if you consider it a passing, I'm not trying to insult anybody, or resurrection, however you want to look at it. Right. But.
5: So, what was, was there any significant from a Hebrew Bible standpoint, translation or challenges, you know? Yeah, I mean, because for example,
3: if you take, if you compare the Hebrew Bible to the Greek translation, the Septuaginta, to the Latin translation, the Vulgate, you will find additions and uh, subtractions from each one of them. And so we always note those. Um, I know that there had to have been some in addition to all of that. However, even if there are, none of these have been convincing enough to modify the Masoretic text as it stands today. I'll put it that way.
5: Okay. I just know that one of the things that, that I saw pop up recently in, in another conversation was how you know the the Bible has been translated, retranslated, uh, you know, and translation upon tropic translation as some monk is rewriting it. And so that who knows what what it was originally. And my understanding from the Dead Sea Scrolls is, is that for the most part, these are some of the oldest texts. It's consistent
3: oh, it is. with what we yeah, have today. That is, well, the thing is, is that the Masoretics, the, the, the scribes that kept the Hebrew Bible, they did overall the probably the best job of preservation in the history of humanity uh, they kept they have such a detailed system to make sure that copies were correct that it allowed us to have almost verbatim exactly what was said occasionally yes i lines would be missing maybe something would be added but it's extremely rare um However, the one thing to note is that for a period of hundreds of years, the entire Hebrew Bible existed purely as oral tradition. So yes, eventually they were kind of locked down into text and we have what that text is, but who knows what the very earliest Tells were compared to what we have now, or what the very first written versions compared to what we have now. That we have no evidence of whatsoever.
1: Right. I wonder what the methodology is for transmitting an oral history as accurately as you can. I mean, it, it kind of seems like the sort of thing that a you know, father to son, mother to daughter, where... That would be the main thing you did every day was go through this memorized oral history or oral tradition true i mean the, the, but
3: the, then you also find a lot of these oral histories that will eventually nailed down into written text via uh, engravings or uh, monuments, etc. Okay. And then those also get adopted into the Hebrew Bible. That's what the book of Job is. It is a much older tale mm-hmm. that came from the Middle East right. that was adopted into the Hebrew Bible. And then sometime, probably during the Second Temple period, the Hollywood ending was attached to it. <laughs> but yeah. I mean and you find the same thing the book of uh, proverbs was really a manual for diplomats uh, that were being sent to various royalties and kings and it taught them how to deal with them but then the concept of king was replaced with god and it then became a way of
1: honoring god rather than kings the kings Okay, let's hit the wheel again. Okay, pressing my wheel turning button one, two, three, four, five. Okay, number one, enlightenment, nirvana, para nirvana. Number two, movies, children, or village of the damned. Uh, number three. We've already done that one, so number four, we've already done that one. Number five is X-Club Tomix Huxley, Sabotage of Science. Number four is Chemtrails. Number five is the concept of hell within the Earth. And number six is Crystal Skulls, Magical Skull of Doom. Officer C. Clarke.
5: So I I, I vote for chemtrails or crystal skulls. Yeah, me too.
1: Sounds interesting. I'm saying we've got to get. I I was gonna make a rule that the next topic has to be secular. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Next topic needs to be secular. (laughs) What was the first one again? I don't know. I bumped into the. I bumped into my keyboard. Uh, but we've we've got. I mean, uh, you know, Zach is spasming. He had to take a bunch of meds, so he's
6: gonna go lay down.
1: Okay. your, Your dad's having back spasms. Okay, I'm sorry hope he feels better. But we've got uh, we've got gravity, anti-gravity, chemtrails, crystal skulls. Um, those are three of the possible. Uh, oh, let's let me just come up with six secular ones. Solar observatory shutdown, which is really kind of interesting. Uh, free will or lack thereof. It's the first time I've ever, see, ever seen that happen But the same topic came up twice. The impact of a truly functional truth ray or truth field. What do you think, Jess? Uh,
2: <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about those. Um, if you guys want to talk about the chemtrail thing, that's fine. Well, or well, Free well, will j- is an interesting topic.
1: Jess, we can also do this a different way. I mean, if there's a particular thing that you find fascinating and would like to talk about, uh, we can we can approach it like that. Uh, I would love
3: to hear your opinion on the, or take on the Screwtape Letters.
2: Oh, actually, that's my favorite one. Uh, Out of all all of his books. (laughs) Out of all of his that I've read so far, I like that one in Mere Christianity the most.
1: Uh, Well, Mere Christianity, Christianity, I can, I mean, I've read both of these, but I understand Mere Christianity was originally a set of uh, radio lectures.
2: It was, yeah, yeah. and uh, it was very, very good to like kind of break down the whole essence of Christianity and its beliefs, you know, over air.
1: So, so what can you can you tell us about the Screw Tape Letters?
2: Well, for me personally, um, one of the most impactful parts of the Screw Tape Letters I read it when I was a teenager, and I tend to overthink a lot. Oh, you'll fit and, in. Yeah. And so even though it's like, you know, I'm a Christian, I tend to have a hard time uh, coming to grips with stuff because I question it too much, I guess. And so one of the things as a teenager that bothered me was, why doesn't God show himself? Uh And so in the Screw Tape Letters, there's a whole part that talks about um, how God doesn't ravish, he can only woo. And how his mere presence would be overcoming to someone and i thought that that to me at least for me personally it really helped me kind of understand of like why doesn't he just appear you know because if he did people wouldn't have to question whether he exists
3: yeah justin um in previous episodes and on my own podcast i'm often known for saying if you ever happen to meet god then you're in for a very very
5: bad day (laughs) yeah Yeah, i think
2: y'all talked
5: about it in the last one yeah right well i you know the my my youngest son struggles with this we have conversations on it frequently nowadays on you know why not just prove your existence why doesn't god just prove he's there and therefore uh everybody would know and you know can worship him appropriately and Mm -hmm. uh you know it's it's really hard for someone younger to get that idea of not knowing is part of the point you know if you're certain about it then that doesn't leave room for faith just belief right you just you know you read it you experience it you believe it if if god just showed himself every morning you know Mm -hmm. stood up and said okay hello world i'm here just still here just letting you know right then you know there's no room for doubt and doubt aids faith right faith requires doubt if you don't Mm -hmm. doubt it then it's not faith right
2: and i always thought of it in the sense of too like if you follow someone strictly out of fear then that's different. And what God wants is you to follow oh, yeah. him out of love, you know? Well, and so you're kind of, you know, people would say, well, it takes away your free will and I never really understood it, but in essence it does. Cause you feel like you can't say no.
1: Well, I, I think it would take away free will. I mean, mm-hmm. a, a, um, a five-year-old doesn't have free will if it's being watched by its father. Right. Uh, every, every second of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, even if it's a, a a loving, supportive father, you know, mm-hmm. every every moment of the day, they're doing everything they can to please that father. Uh, I one I feel the silence of God pretty much every day, but I I don't I don't, I wouldn't want that proof to come into the world.
2: Right. Perso- yeah.
1: Personally, what I like about the screw tape letters is how much fun it is. How, oh, for sure. How, 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 how funny the writing is. You know, it, yeah, it, I, I mean, because I mean, if, if you just take it into, you know, modern, you know, 2024 language, it's like, damn, you're a dumbass. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah. You know, you know, are you really asking me this question?
2: Uh, <laughs>
6: right.
2: Yeah. I love this satirical aspect of it, the way that he teaches you points, but in a totally different way you know that is it is very entertaining it's definitely my favorite when you said the whole are you a dumbass thing that was funny because it reminded me i think it's isaiah where he's like what are you guys doing worshiping a piece of wood (laughs) (laughs) he's like you literally cut it and burn the other half
1: (laughs) but so dave if you dave um now since josh is going to be taking over the father bird song seat Have you guys read the screw tape letters
5: no i i still haven't no
1: oh yes
6: uh read it no i've i've listened to it i haven't read eh, it. that's good enough <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: That's the same thing. These people that make such a distinction between audiobooks. I'm sorry. Some of us have very old eyes and cannot bother to be, cannot read print text anymore. Right. I am very much in that group. So,
2: is there a favorite part of it, um, JJ, for you from the book that is like memorable to you?
3: It has probably been 27 years since I've read it, so oh. I can't point to anything in particular, but it's not so much from that book, but I love a lot, and I've I've mentioned this before, I won't go into detail, but I love the derivative warts that take the screw tape letters as inspiration. Oh, yeah. For sure. There's an episode of Millennium where you have four devils all getting together in a coffee shop talking about the best way to lead to the downfall of humanity. And it is still my from a mediocre um, TV series that grew out, that was a spinoff from another mediocre TV series, Dex Files, (laughs) um, that was just phenomenal. I don't,
1: what was that show again, JJ? Uh, Millennium.
2: I'll have to look into that.
1: Millennium. That's not the okay because there was the Swedish TV show Millennium, which was the girl with the dragon tattoo. With the dragon tattoo.
3: Oh yeah, no, mm. this uh, this is a pure U.S.
1: based production. Um, I I don't. For some reason, I don't remember a lot of the quotes from the screw tape letters, so no, I don't have a particular part that I can go back to, but I'm <clears throat> I can remember one something like a um they say a moderated religion is as good as no religion at all um, mm-hmm. and more fun and it it seems like I last read that quote with somebody who was talking about lukewarm Catholics, Mm -hmm. you know, Catholics saying, yeah, I'm Catholic, Mm. but, um, but they, but they were throwing the butt in there. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, One of my favorites was when he said something along the lines of mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out,
1: keeping things out of their minds.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. That's a nice quote.
2: I thought that that one was great. It's one of my favorites.
1: Well, the C.S. Lewis. I mean, the it, it's hard for me to get my mind around what it would be like to have a mind like C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't. But I don't have a <laughs> look. I don't have a bad mind. Okay, it's really not all that bad. It's like it can do some pretty decent things sometimes. But I'm not in that category. <laughs> mm. <laughs> And it's a little frustrating to realize that no matter what I do, I won't ever be in that category.
2: Yeah, he was definitely one of a kind.
3: Yeah, in Mm. fact, to this day, Harvard still hosts the C.S. Lewis lectures, which is lectures from usually recognized scientists that go over why and how their faith is still an integral part of their belief systems. And the one year I got to go, it featured C. Everett. Coop. Coop, thank you. Um, Former surgeon general had the scientist who first mapped out the human genome. It was fascinating. I absolutely loved it.
1: Wow, that does sound great. Well so what was Siever Coop talking about? His uh his faith. His faith, okay. Yep. And I, I remember him being a pretty imp- well, first off, he's a very impressive looking kind of guy. Oh yeah. With I mean, that beard. And... With the beard, yeah. I mean he kind of looked like he was, you know you know, win the Ernest Hemingway look alike contest or you know you just, well, he personifies the word distinguished in yes my he mind. did yes he just <laughs>
3: yes yeah I, I did he have know. a
2: tweed jacket
3: oh he also <laughs> did wear one you're right <laughs> Heck yes i'm not sure if it had the elbow patches on it but you know. oh man <laughs> if not it was a missed opportunity
2: yeah right he's missing out
1: well gentlemen i'm gonna since we're we're not getting a uh Agreed. Sorry. COVID mind. Since we're not doing all that well with C.S. Lewis, I'm going to throw out some specific secular topics. Okay. You guys tell me what you want to do. Uh, the first one is, now remember, with the rundown, you don't really have to know that much about what you're talking about. You just have to be able to talk in an entertaining manner <laughs> in a way that vaguely relates to what we're supposed to be talking about. That. That's a tall order for me. Is that <laughs> okay? <laughs> First topic. First off, just tell me. How, tell me how many people know what this word means.
0: Scafism. Hello, this is Cedric Dankworth Smythe. Have you ever noticed how I emphasize the Dankworth? It just sounds so upper class. Anyway, the modern social value dictates that I tell you. We are about to discuss something horrific, Something that you might find difficult. Difficulty? Offensive. The sort of thing almost guaranteed to place somebody's panties in a wad, as they say. So, such things make you all yumpy, as Vernon Dursley says. Perhaps you should skip the next fifteen minutes or so. Or, like me, you're just are fascinated with the more dark aspects of humanity then listen with all the more relish
1: s-c-a-p-h-i-s-m Scapism. not oh. a clue not a clue would you like is to know is that similar to escapism no scaph- That's what I was thinking. scaphism okay would you like to know what that word means certainly okay i'm so glad scaphism <laughs> Would it
5: matter
3: if I said no? Yes, it would.
1: <laughs> no, joking, we could have I'm all joking. said
5: no. He'd be like, but but you really uh, no, 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 no. I would just make it, Wait, I would, you I, I would yes. I,
1: I would just go into the uh, I'd probably become passive aggressive. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, passive
6: aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I would love you, to
1: know. Please, you don't, don't really want to know. All right, all right. Scafism is a method of execution which is considered in many ways the, one of the most horrible methods of execution ever. Okay, so they would take two boats, kind of like canoes, and they would fill the bottom boat up with honey and various other things that insects love to eat, and they would secure you down inside all this goo in this lower boat. And then they would shove something down your throat and make sure that you, and fill you up with milk and honey and other things that insects love to get. And <clears throat> then they would cut out armholes and a face hole and a breathing hole, and they put another boat on top of the boat that you were already in. Then they'd put more, you know, honey and things like that in there, and they would float you out in a lake. Um... a rope and every day they would pull you back in and they would force feed you more milk and honey and this kind of thing and they'd push you back out there and pretty soon you were unable to maintain all this honey and milk and stuff in your system and it had to come back out into the boat also so pretty soon you're sitting in this boat full of uh, honey and milk and excrement and bugs and things come along and they want to start eating you and they keep doing this and they keep you alive as long as they possibly can and sooner or later you die of being uh, eaten bit by bit by insects that come along and start eating out your eyeballs and tongue and nose and things like that this is scaphism showing how incredibly creative our ancestors were in executing people in a slow and horribly painful manner
5: yeah I yeah. want to know who is they <laughs>
6: <'Cause> <laughs> well, I really don't want to meet them. <laughs>
5: I don't know, yeah,
2: that was pretty metal.
6: The fact that he knows it step by step he
2: never wants <laughs> Only to be
6: <laughs> Yes, yes, it is a little concerning. Uh,
2: anci- like, Let me look in my recipe book of torture.
1: <laughs> it's an ancient Persian form of execution. I should have got Persian. that. Okay. Yeah, it was also right. called milk and honey, and left to be in the middle of a stagnant body of water. <clears throat> the, mic- the victim was also covered in the milk and honey, and generally stripped naked. Um, so this is a horrible form of execution. Uh, I was probably going to expand it to other horrible forms of execution. Well, I was about to say,
3: your episode on Trailer Trash Terrors that talked about corpse the me- binding. Yes. <clears throat> and the, the mellified that, man.
1: That and Much all- worse to me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> this was
1: a pleasure, but... Yeah, yeah, the corpse binding was pretty rough, too. <laughs> I don't know.
6: I think, I think one of the more brutal ones would be the... Um, what's it called? The... Uh, the Vikings did it. Uh, bl- blood eagle. The blood oh, eagle. That was horrible yeah. to watch.
5: Wait, wait, wait. All right, so some, that some, was
1: some, absolutely horrible. <laughs> well, somebody give us a um, good rundown of the blood eagle. Like I look, I gave you a pretty good view of the scaf- <laughs> of scapeism <laughs> Go yeah. ahead,
6: Josh. You remember it? Oh, well, I, I know they they would tie you to do two different poles. They would stretch your arms out and prop them up. Then they would carve out your back and slowly remove and. Place your lungs over your shoulders, spread out your rib cage, and just flay you alive backwards, like, um, like you would if you're like dissecting a frog. (laughs) Well, so it's like spreading. They did this in the the Vikings TV show. Mm -hmm.
5: And they did it to this guy, and the in order to, and I don't. I mean, I remember exactly right. But in order to go to Valhalla, you had to go through the torture mm-hmm. without making a noise. Yeah. And once they finished the last piece, because there were several steps they went through before they got to the lungs, mm-hmm. and they laid the lungs over your shoulders, which would instantly pull them you. out. Right. Well, it didn't instantly kill him, but (laughs) (laughs) they didn't like, they didn't, they didn't cut off the lungs. They, they went through the back, through the ribs Mm -hmm. and pulled the lungs out and laid Mm. them
1: on the outside of your body. So he was, they were still able to inflate?
5: Yes. They were 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 still still connected.
1: Wow. he was still, a t- and
5: think about th- how slowly you would have to do that to be careful enough not to pierce the lung, not to whatever, mm-hmm. in order to you know. And then the guy has to stand there or sit there, whatever. He was like kneeling, uh, and and then if you got to that point, then they executed him, right?
1: Because right, he so had survived the pain. So he had survived the pain, and it's like okay, he's got what is, he's got the stuff that he needs to get to Valhalla. Somebody could have set off. Exactly. Yep. yep it
5: incredibly, <laughs> incredibly horrible. Was, I think yeah. I'll
2: take the boats.
5: You know, boy, that would be a tough call, right? Mm. Um, because the boats would be days and yeah. days of misery, whereas this would be a couple of minutes. Yeah. Of intense, incredible, horrible pain. because course, you'd probably pass out. But, uh, yeah. Just now, Vic, of... was this an actual topic? Or were you just curious if we knew what that word was? <laughs> I'm a little concerned. We we didn't get, like, a list. No there was no,
1: like, one, two, three, four, five. It was like, oh, by the way, it does was know? <laughs> it was an actual topic. Okay. Uh, yes. Okay. Scapism. Now, I... I can remember when I put scaphism in there, thinking you ought to expand this to other horrible forms of execution.
2: Yeah, I feel like yeah. we would develop into "Would you rather" at some point. <laughs> 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 Be like, okay, so between these two horrible deaths,
5: all right, it's okay as long as it's not never have I ever.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I know you had me concerned when you said, "Yeah, I've seen that and it was terrible."
5: I was like, "Oh wait a second.
1: <laughs> I've well, I've um. Well, um, I've not directly witnessed an execution, but I've been there when they've been done, which was at uh, Huntsville.
5: That's right. You were uh,
1: uh, a nurse
5: at a prison, right?
1: Yeah, I was a nurse at a prison for about six six months and um, met some people that make you very happy that we've got prisons. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure. Were Were you involved in like the, no. the pre-process or anything? <clears throat> no, my job was to give out medications in a cage, and to and to look at people's injuries and listen to their complaints and this kind of thing. But no, I I I didn't get to start the IVs or I, I, I'm not. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Would I have done that? Uh. Oh. That'd be a tough job. Be a tough job.
2: I feel like I is, can yeah.
1: honestly say I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't
6: be able to hook someone up like that regardless. of. The, I don't know. Uh,
2: that's usually my that's only... A, that's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, that's like one of the concerns with, you know, people are either for the death penalty or they aren't. And I'm always concerned about the people that have to administer it. Like what that does to you psychologically.
1: Well, I mean, you'll read things like... Okay, they have six guys with rifles and one of the rifles is loaded with a dummy round or loaded with a blank. Well, if you fire very many rifles, you're surely going to be able to tell if you've got a blank round in your rifle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, in in terms of the recoil, in terms of the sound, in terms of the Dave's giving that look like, "Hmm, I wonder if he's right about that."
5: Well, <laughs> I've fired I've fired blank rounds. Yeah. But I haven't fired them side by side. I would have to fire them side by side to tell the difference. I mean it's it's close. It's it's not like you fire a blank round and it's like uh oh well that was easy. You know, I mean it's mm-hmm. there's umph to them, but you're right. If you fired enough, you you could probably
1: tell the difference. I would think you'd be able to tell the difference. So I I guess if they were just saying to me, all right. Uh, we've got all these really, really horrible execution methods. You know, you're going to be executed. Sorry, you know, you're that you're in the you're in the pool. Um, but you get to choose one that we're not going to do. Do you? I suppose what I would say, take off the table, would be impalement.
2: I was thinking that. <laughs>
6: you don't know, want to experience we'll really the fullness of the uh, impalement like vlad the impaler style yeah vlad, right. the, <laughs>
1: vlad the impaler style, because apparently vlad had uh trained people he had he uh, their job of a particular part of vlad's government was to train people how to properly impale such that the impalee had minimal damage by the time they got him up on that pole. Hmm. They, they didn't uh, want you dying quickly. Uh, but let's think about this for a moment. Okay. All
5: right. The impaling itself would be incredibly painful. Yeah. But once once that wound is done, you're just kind of hanging out, right?
1: Until blood <laughs> loss kills you. Well, that was the idea. Let's, ma- let's make it to where the blood loss is not so much that you're going to die right away, so... So, yeah, I guess you would die of suffocation, you would die of... infection, you would die of blood loss, you would die of shock.
3: Well, the... I forget what it's called, but... the method where they sit you on top of a... unsharpened stick.
1: Uh-huh.
3: And for the first a few hours you're okay but then eventually your legs get out well no i mean you're you're literally you're sitting on this stick with your arms being supported by two other poles i gotcha and there's nowhere else but your body to go but down and it uh, slowly begins to penetrate your
5: anus and oh, oh yeah. you're sitting you're not like okay yeah I was picturing laying back on a stick, oh, sitting no. on a stick. Yeah, now that does sound unpleasant.
3: Yeah, and that would last for days. But one one other thing, or just a random bit of thing. There is an anime actually out this season called uh, Sama Juman no Jikandus, which is princess, it's time for... Torture in quotes, but the oh. uh, the torture is actually uh, like a demon would come into a room and show delicious food and tempt her into uh, into eating it, and then they would get like trivial information in return. It's all extremely innocent, but it's just it's it's kind of funny.
4: Well.
2: <laughs> That sounds like an anime, for sure.
1: I mean, we sound like 12-year-old guys now. Um. Hey, anime is a highly
3: sophisticated art form. That is my primary method of entertainment.
2: Yeah, no, I love anime. And obviously, the most sophisticated is Food
3: Wars, right? Oh, my god! I say that That, in jest. That is definitely an interesting one. Right. (laughs) Well, well, what? What? There's
1: an anime called Food Wars.
3: Yes. Oh, yeah. It's a, a series of, it really follows this one um, boy whose father was a restaurant owner. Uh, but essentially, uh, whenever someone makes a, a spectacular dish that he makes, then it will picture the females involved, their clothes like it flying goes. off and, you know, having orgasmic experiences. It,
2: it, it's it's fan service bizarre
3: one
1: <laughs> yeah that's uh that's pretty darn bizarre there used to be a this was a long time ago uh, just right when the internet started to become fast enough for people to actually do things with it it was a a short less than a minute long anime type clip that was distributed as a gif file however you say that word So, Paul, is it GIF?
3: Yeah.
1: It's It's GIF. Yeah, yeah. I've always said that. Anyone
3: who says otherwise is wrong. Wasn't
2: it the creator that said it was, what, did he say it was GIF or GIF?
3: I don't care what he said.
5: (laughs) (laughs) He's wrong. Us true nerds know
6: it's it's GIF.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for this, well, look, whatever that word is, I'll go with GIF just to maintain peace among the, the clan.
0: Hello, this is Cedric and Smythe again. Well, it seems the boys have gone a bit longer than I expected into the Panty-in-a-Wad territory. They're getting ready to discuss an old GIF, G-I-F. Yes, <laughs> that spells GIF. That depicts a horrific scene of a Japanese anime girl. You are certainly welcome to skip the next ten or twelve minutes and not go out looking for that particular gift, which you will find offensive. Or if you wish, you can go look for it all you wish, but you'll find it, and you'll be offended, and you can't say, I didn't warn you. Or you might say, "Ah, thank you so much, Cedric. That made my day. I'm certain we have some listeners who would have such a response.
1: Um, it was this It was this little video of a a Japanese girl being through some force sucked onto this backplane thing. Arms are up like this. Then laser beams cut around her body, down her legs. Then they just sort of pull her body out of her skin. Does anybody remember seeing that? No. (laughs) No. No, no really more
2: <laughs> I thought he was going to talk about the the gif of the girl with the leeks, the Caramel Donson girl. The leeks? Yeah, there's like... Well, I oh, don't are, know we, are we YouTube talking? First...
1: Are we talk... Tell me about it. I don't, know, I don't even know what that is.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, there was oh, like a little God. clip when YouTube first started and it was an anime girl with like the little leeks and... She would
1: dance.
3: Yeah, and they the, would put the it giant to a... Japanese green onions. Leeks. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: leeks. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. the,
5: like you're making soup with leeks. Okay, go. Right, it. right. Yeah. Yeah. Leeks. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Hatsumi Miku sama. Um, they have I me, mean, that the vocaloid <laughs> thing phenomenon is gigantic to the point where they now do holographic um concerts of her yeah Uh, they i mean they do collaborations with every major japanese industry that there is and uh they actually have some phenomenal games diva tone f and uh future tone and uh, everything else they're phenomenal arcade games and regular console games as well
2: Oh, okay yeah, that's where and I thought the he music was going.
3: Is phenomenal! It really is. Some of their some of their songs are actually on my like most favorite playlist, especially Happiness Committee. Oh, it's bloody phenomenal.
1: <laughs> anyway, sorry, I will stop now. <laughs> All right, I, I just put the the gif on Discord, so anyone who's feeling brave. Uh, watch it at your own risk.
2: <laughs> yeah, that sounds intense.
1: <laughs> watch, watch it at your own risk. Okay. So, <clears throat> uh, suffice it to say that the our ancient ancestors were extremely creative when it came to inflicting pain. Mm-hmm. So... Most of the executions in Western society have not been directed to causing as much pain as possible. I mean, after we got past sort of the William Wallace era, you know, the, the drawing quartering, hanging, disemboweling, mm-hmm. uh, all of that, until the guy screams freedom. Um, but, um, so what changed? I always thought that was a horrible way to go. Well, that is a horrible way to go. So, but what changed? I mean, we, it changed from, we don't only just want to kill you, we want to cause as much horror and pain in your mind as we possibly can, and to your body, to, we just want to get rid of you. I mean, uh, go ahead. I, I
3: just watched that, and I, I kind of wish that I did not. Totally with you right <laughs> there, Jay. That's right up uh, there with... Um, <laughs> Two girls, one cup. Yeah, I know. Oh, it's it's oh, right no. in the same category. Yeah. I
1: mean, I mean, look, I told you, own risk. Uh, oh, I have such a bad taste in my mouth. When <laughs> thanks, thanks, <Lord>. <laughs>
5: you demand, man buddy
1: (laughs) oh come on you would have found it sooner or later anyway
5: (laughs) no actually i wouldn't have i have i have gone the entire time since since gifts like that were started and have not seen it and
1: i who makes those i mean random people random people that's just i mean does this guy go to work for you believe the next day I pray to God not. <laughs> he, he's probably a
6: programmer in the dark corner of his grandmother's basement.
2: That's
1: it has that's to be quite a 4chan possible. lurker.
2: Oh gosh,
1: 4chan. Have you guys ever seen the movie Pure Point? Movie Mm-mm. what? Mm-mm. The movie's called Pure Point. No. Mm-mm. Okay, Pure Point is a movie about the last... ...British Executioner. His name was Pierpoint. And the way that they did execute... He was the son of an Executioner. And the way that they killed people... ...in the British penal system... ...uh... ...say pre-World War II... ...was through hanging. And Pierpoint became... ...the world's best hangman. And... ...so... ...the way they would hang you in Britain... ...was they put you in a room and have you write a letter, and then you know that sometime in the next 10 minutes you're going to be hanged. You don't know exactly when. But the so Pierpoint would burst into the room, grab you by the shoulders, take you to the place where they're going to hang you, put the rope around your neck, and trip the, the, the trapdoor. He was to the point where he could go from end of the room to dead prisoner in eight seconds. Okay, so, so he was the world's fastest hangman, mm. and then after after World War II, they hired him to go to Nuremberg and to hang Nazi prisoners. And he got pushed back. He wanted to set this up to where, bam, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Just there, there was nothing. Other than just eliminating that prisoner. But the Americans and the French really kind of wanted this to last longer. They wanted there to be a torture element to it. Of hmm. of, of killing these. Anyway, I am I'm, I'm I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to upset anybody by the gift that I didn't create. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
1: and that I've been aware <laughs> of for uh, uh, I don't know how long I've known about that. Probably, it's old. I'm thinking it's probably 25 years old. I need to well, go. Well, thanks back for and, sharing, Vic.
6: I need to <laughs> go back topic. and
3: watch the uh, Dog of Wisdom clip now, just to get that taste out of my
1: mouth. <laughs> well, tell, tell us what the Dog of Wisdom is
3: oh the dog of wisdom is absolutely amazing it is a uh, a set of one one little wiener dog who is flying in the sky in a little prop plane who is um talking in dog speak and then there's another dog who's sitting on a cloud and he talks back, but it's done in a wall, 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 wall kind of voice. Like uh, Charlie, the, Brown adults, Charlie Brown adults? yeah. Kind of, but kind of more like barking, but it becomes more of a, a song. And people have taken this. There's a TikTok channel that's now completely dedicated to remixing songs with just the dog of wisdom's voices. Uh, oh, okay. So that's become a, a fun
1: viral thing that's out there
3: oh yeah in fact um there was an anime i forget what it was called it was like a Dance in the something or other. But anyway, there was a very, like, supposed to be a very uh, dramatic, traumatic scene at the end of that anime. And people actually uh, remixed that to the dog of wisdom and made the girl one of the dogs and the boy the other dog. And that was more popular than that anime ever hoped to be. So, yeah, it, it is a now a complete viral was it, uh, trend. Dance it's amazing. the vampire buns? No, it was like a dance in the. Um, I, I will find
0: this and put it into the Discord. Hello again. This is Cedric Dankworth smith I will have to agree with JJ that the dog of wisdom is quite pleasant to watch, very charming, very intelligently done. And has some great jokes. Plus, he's a really good harmonica player.
1: Okay, warning
0: time over. The rest of the show is very PG and 100% acceptable for just about everybody.
1: Jessica, in your entire life, have you ever had anything happen to you that you would place in the paranormal category?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah i um one time i was staying at my husband's house back when we were like dating dating uh, we lived kind of yeah he lived kind of far away so i stayed at his house with his parents and i remember going into the room and i heard this like shuffling noise and i didn't know what it was and i was like well is it their dog like And they kept a very clean, nice home. I was like, it's not like a rat, but it definitely was a very apparent shuffling noise. So I looked around and there was nothing there and the dog was actually in a kennel. And I was like, that was really weird because I know for a fact I heard shuffling. So I heard it once or twice more, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And I eventually um, went to bed and it had a bunk bed. And when I went to bed, I was like very, very afraid.
1: You sleeping like, on the bottom bunk or the top bunk?
2: On the top, sorry. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember being very afraid and feeling like something was watching me, and was like very concerned. And so I went to sleep that way eventually. And uh, I woke up, and he had gotten back, and he had went into the room for something. Uh, Jonathan, my husband. And when I woke up, I had like a full night terror panic attack. Really? And I yeah, and I never had had one ever. But it was like this gripping sense of fear that was like uncontrollable. And he was like, it's me, like, what are you afraid of? And I was like crying and hysterical. And I knew that he was there and I knew that nothing was happening, but it was like just a full blown panic attack. And so he ended up wanting to pray for me because I told him what happened. And when he started praying, I got more afraid. Like, I had a very bad reaction to him praying. And I actually asked him to stop. Really? And he was like, Yeah. <laughs> and he um, was like, No, we're not going to stop. We're going to, like, he was <clears throat> by that. And eventually it, it wore off. But I had never had a panic attack. I've never had a night terror. Um, and it was just this gripping sense of fear that I've never felt at any time in my life.
1: What do you think you were hearing?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it felt like a spiritual thing, you know, and um, later on, I figured out that, you know, someone in the house had been doing, you know, some (coughs) weird stuff in the room. So I don't know if it was like a an attachment or anything. And there was something in there. But to me, it definitely felt real. I mean, I've never had any kind of hysterics in my life. And I know that I heard something. So I don't really know what it would be.
1: But the the actual physical evidence that you heard was really pretty mundane. I mean, it was small noises, shuffling. That yeah,
2: it just, it sounded right. like something was in there. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. but I couldn't figure out what it but was. You didn't
1: see anything. You weren't attacked by anything. But yeah, the, it was more
2: of an emotional reaction than right. anything.
1: The mental impact yeah. it had on you was quite powerful, though. Yeah, yeah. The the night terror
5: feeling was when you woke up, you said in the middle of the night, that was just a feeling that there was no like dream associated with it or anything like that?
2: No, it was just like immediately I was afraid again. It was like I was afraid when I went to sleep and I was afraid when I got Maybe up and I up. felt like something was in there and like something was going to harm me.
5: Did you have any uh, sleep paralysis when you woke up?
2: No, not at all. Like I, okay. I bolted right up. <clears throat> and I didn't understand why. And that was what was concerning, because I'm I'm kind of a very practical, logical person. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't understand why I'm having, because in my head, I'm thinking, is my husband, you know, is Jonathan there? And there's nothing here. Why are you acting like this? You know, and I was very concerned when I got afraid when he started praying. I was like, I okay. imagine so. Yeah, I was like, I don't know why I would have a adverse reaction to that, but. You know, that's really my only one. Um, He did have an experience there, too, like before we met, like a year or so prior. And um, he felt something grab his covers off of him, like pull his covers off of him. And that was on the top bunk as well in the same room. So, I don't know. It's interesting.
5: Yeah, that's annoying. I used to have something flip the covers up over my feet in the middle of the night. (laughs) <laughs> really? Yeah. Just like it was walking past the bed and flip them up. Wow. Wake me up.
2: Did that happen often?
5: Uh, for a couple of months, yeah. Yeah, okay. that was in a, a long string of, of events dealing with something demonic. So, Oh, wow. It was.
1: This was after your experience <laughs> in the trailer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this was two
5: years later. This is after any of the attacks had died down. It was just now occasionally annoying stuff would happen but
2: uh this is um kind of somewhat off topic but not do you believe in like ghosts or do you believe in familiar spirits or do you only believe in demons i know that's a loaded question
5: no it's a regular question um (laughs) from from my perspective uh so I I'm, I'm the one of the group who does all the paranormal investigating. So mm-hmm. I I believe there's multiple things. Uh I've I've had experiences in places that were haunted and had things follow me home from places that were haunted that were benign. Um you know, no negative feeling with it, no uh agenda, no manipulation or anything like that, just appeared to be what you would expect a human ghost to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in some of that, we've got evidence of EVPs and, uh, you know, stuff we've heard on spirit boxes, things like that. I've had stuff, one thing, follow me home that was negative that I still think was an angry spirit. Um, and then I've had a demonic experience that was, that was not a lot of fun. And that was a very, very, very different thing. There was extreme hatred and, uh, malice in everything to do with that entity. So yeah, from, from my point of view, I think there are spirits and ghosts out there that are human. Now, whether that's, you know, from a Catholic perspective, maybe people in purgatory and that's a certain way of interacting or, uh, you know, from a non-Catholic standpoint, just people that are stuck here and working through something, I don't know, but they don't appear to be demonic. There just not appear to be any uh, outcome that they're trying to, you know, negative outcome right? They're just, they just are. And, and there's definitely demonic. I've dealt with that. And there, you know, I've, I've known people who've investigated who, when they run across something that seems powerful, but is not acting like a spirit, human spirit, and it's not negative, like demonic that they sort of claim is elemental. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know about that myself, but I know You know investigators who do think things like that exist i think there's a lot of possibilities out there
2: yeah yeah one of the reasons i was curious is uh a dear friend of mine his uh house that he grew up in that his mom is at um is haunted and they always thought it was like family members and i mean they've had very intense things happen they've had stuff move they've seen full-on apparitions Mm -hmm. um and i've always you know I guess I'm kind of a fence rider because, you know, a lot of people in the Protestant realm, you know, they think you go to one of two places and why would you be here in any capacity? But then you have all of this anecdotal evidence, like you said, you know, what do you think when you see these apparitions and they're not, you know, malevolent, then what would that be other than like a a spirit, you know? But most Protestants, you know, they want to say it's all demons.
1: Yeah. Well, it's become extremely common. In fact, we'll check this particular episode. Virtually every podcast we do, every paranormal rundown we do, a fair number of trailer trash terrors episodes that I do, they're EVPs.
3: <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's, the latest Southern
1: Demonology had an EVP on it. One I, look, I mean, JJ had the mother of all EVPs <laughs> recently. I mean, that it was looked, the first one I've ever had. My, mine are essentially... Benign. You know, I'll be talking along. I'll say something like, uh, just something, anything that I would say on my podcast. Something like, uh, you know, H.A. Uh, Tomes was executed November 16th, uh, 1903, or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that date is correct or not. And then there will be a voice that is not my voice in a room where I'm here with my dog, Caroline's dog, and who just has decided that he's my dog. Um, and I'll hear uh huh, and it, it's it's not my voice. Yeah, it's, it's often a female voice. Just uh huh, and I, I'm to the point where I, for the most part, just ignore them. I wouldn't ignore what JJ had on his.
2: Oh, what did he have on his?
1: It was
3: so, Father. It was actually a conversation with with your dad, Father Birdsong we uh i I did a two-part episode around the do's and don'ts of exorcism and we were in a conversation where he was saying that you know you can't cast out mental illness which is why he makes sure that people are do not fall into that category and on my line on my audio line you heard a demonic growl. It, oh, wow. It, 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 it's very clear, it, too. It's
1: a very, very clear one, and if you pull it into something like Audition or Gold Wave or any other audio editing program and start breaking it apart, there's all kinds of vocal information in that thing. I wow. mean, like the, the sounds of your tongue you know, going over your lips, the sounds of your teeth moving, the sounds, mouth sounds. Lots and lots of mouth sounds for a an E V P that essentially is pretty loud too.
2: That's crazy.
1: JJ, what did you what were your immediate thoughts when you heard that? Because I know you just didn't hear it until you were editing. Confusion, yeah. Because I
3: I wasn't feeling well when I was editing the episode, so uh-huh. I only got to the first half of it. And this is after I've ran my normal like audio cleanup processes for right. the entire file.
1: Yeah, you've gotten rid of, tried to get rid of the mouth sounds and background hiss mm. and all that kind of stuff.
3: Right, and then on the uh, on the next week, I got to go back and finish that editing, and I heard it. And it was very faint, and I actually boosted it like by three dB on the final, um, on the final release. Uh-huh. But I, I was like, "What?" at first because at first i thought it was just someone breathing but i i've been like normally i would just wipe it away without listening but this time i'm like "Mm, what is that and i went in and listened and it would a growl and i'm like what and it was just utter confusion because my dog does not make noises Um, it's taken me a year and a half to train her just to make any kind of noise in order for her to want to go outside and she rarely she never sits by my desk to make it audible on my microphone and i went through every possibility i played it for my wife and we batted around ideas of what in the world this could be I honestly, I had no explanation for it, and that freaked me out even more.
6: And it didn't sound like any of our dogs,
1: either. Yeah, and, and there well, was, Plus, and, they wouldn't show up on JJ's track. Right. Yeah, true. They it was five. Up. It, it could have <laughs> been,
3: or it could have been the new edition, which...
1: Can you see that? Oh great. Oh (laughs) that's the Tim Curry uh Tim Curry Pennywise Tim Curry Pennywise. I got from
3: a Japanese gotcha um last year,
6: which (laughs) is well
1: just I I have this concept that I I continue to try to flesh out and that I that I call the paranormal zoo. Mm. Um in that I, I can't go along with the, the Protestant view of, look, anything, you con- anything that you run into that isn't clearly human or clearly a, a physical body is a demon. That just doesn't make sense to me. I, I think mm-hmm. there are other critters out there. I don't know what those critters are. I, I kind of try to go along with that. I have encountered what, I definitely believe to be demonic activity a number of times. None of it involving me directly. All of it kind of seeming to understand that I had perceived it and not being particularly happy about the fact that I had perceived it. Um, I've run into EVPs. I don't know that I've ever run into anything that I would consider a ghost. Yeah. I, I, I don't know that I have.
2: Yeah, I don't think that I have either.
1: I I think you have, Vic. I think that they've spoken
5: on your podcast several times.
1: I think I've spoken on my podcast several times. <laughs> they may have. Well, I wish they would introduce themselves. Excuse me. This is Pablo. I'm a ghost. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
5: That's
6: Pablo, I'm a ghost. I'm Fast. sorry. Where's <laughs> <laughs> <fiery beat> your next Trailer Trash
1: Chairs character? <consegue> Pablo the ghost.
5: Um, Pablo's on the 12-step program to get to heaven. He's
2: we <laughs> yeah. used to hear these bizarre noises in our house, and we called it Bob.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: well, yeah, Bob. I mean, That's a good name. Well, I grew up in a haunted 200-year-old log cabin, and we had Patrick who scared the shit out of me at every chance that he possibly got. Um, Last name Swayze. No, <laughs> thank God. Oh God, I don't even
1: mention that idiot's name. Oh, I can't stand him. But anyway, uh, wait, 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 wait. Though, uh, is, we're talking, we're we're talking the guy from Ghost, the guy who's you know sort of making love to Demi Moore's hands and that kind of thing. Yes, the um, plotter's
2: hands. Yeah.
1: What 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 do you not like about him? he was singing uh, henry the eighth i am
3: just the just his presence in the movie dirty dancing pissed me off more than anything there are certain actors that i just have an abhorrent amount of hate for is it justified is it reasonable absolutely not do i still have it
6: i am
5: so glad to hear you say that jj well because your your hatred of Keanu is just not justified. Oh, it is no, justified.
1: is right. the worst thing that has ever happened. But anyway, I, I won't go my older son's <laughs> wedding was held at the Dirty Dancing. Ah, Lake. <laughs> What's that? Mountain Lake. That's I grew up like an hour from there. You know that that's where my son had his wedding. Wedding and Beautiful place. Uh, his wife, Lise, who's French, that's her favorite movie by a whole lot. Um, well, I'll be dang. I will say I
3: I refuse to even look at Cyberpunk 2077 just because of the fact
1: that it features Keanu Reeves. <laughs> However, wait, wait, wait! Cyberpunk 2077. What is that a movie? Is that a game? It's what a is video it's game? A, game. a, a video horrible game. video game. Uh-huh. It delighted me with all of the issues that I had when it first came out. However, well, uh, Keanu showed up in SpongeBob movies. I mean,
3: have y'all ever uh, heard of? Uh, there's a a British video game commenter exploiter called the Spiffing Brit. Have you ever heard of him?
1: Nope. nope. nope.
3: He has created a parody character, not Keanu Reeves, but um Rihanna keeves who is Keanu Reeves' uh, cousin, who has been sucked into various video game worlds and is now more powerful than a deity. It, it's bloody hilarious. I, I actually listen to that every night before I go to bed.
2: <laughs> would, it, would it delight you to see some horrible acting from Keanu Reeves,
3: JJ? I, I, I've i seen that in every movie I've ever seen. This is why- Do you want
2: why- another suggestion? Well, look, I mean, Keanu just Stone always
1: 10. plays the- <laughs> Well, I mean, pretty much it's always the same role.
2: It basically it, it, is. I mean, yeah, the
1: same probably. facial really? expressions, same vocal expressions, but I kind of like him. But
2: if you want to see him act terribly, like we'll give you cringe, but we'll make JJ feel great is much ado about nothing.
1: He did Shakespeare.
2: Yes. He was in a movie of Shakespeare and his acting was vile.
1: Well, I'm just I'm just trying to think of Keanu doing Shakespeare
2: yeah he was a bad guy you
1: know I, I'm just you know that sort of alas poor York I knew him a ratio um <laughs>
2: very good impression of what he was like is very very
1: good. <laughs> you, know, you know I mean
3: I oh god I couldn't even imagine him butchering Shakespeare Dude, but it, it was is... bad
0: enough in the matrix but ugh. hello again This is Cedric Dankworth Smythe. I seem to be quite busy this evening. It's because they've been talking about so many titillating things. Well, as you know, or maybe you don't, I'm quite a fan of Mr. Reeves. I think he's one of the finest actors we have today. I truly, truly enjoy listening to his very talented thespian adventures. So let's listen to just a, a few moments of The Bards, Much Ado About Nothing. Made better than it's ever been before by the acting talent of Keanu Reeves.
6: And when I have heard it. But blessing brings it. I cannot hide what I am. I must be sad when I have cause and smile at no man's jests. Eat when I have stomach. And wait for no man's leisure. Sleep when I am drowsy and tend on no man's business, laugh when I am merry and claw no man in
0: his humor. Yea, but you must not make full show of this till you may do so without controlment. You have of late stood out against your brother, and he hath taken you newly into his grace, but it is impossible you should take true root but by the fair weather that you make yourself.
6: I had rather be a canker in a hedge than a rose in his grace. In this, though I cannot be said to be a flattering, honest man, it must not be denied, but I am a plain-dealing villain. If I had my mouth, I would bite. If I had my liberty, I would do my liking. In the meantime,
0: let me be that I am. Oh, my. The bard must simply be celebrating in his probably rather moldy grave these days. <laughs> just listen to that. I must eat what I have stomach. Ha-ha. <laughs> that Keanu. That's an actor for the ages. So
1: bad. I mean, you know, just just take the Matrix Keanu. You know. Yeah, how he plays
2: I, the bad guy, Don John. And you know, how,
1: how about I give you the finger? <laughs> and <laughs> you give me... Give me my phone call. Give
5: me my phone call. The
3: the best thing I've ever seen featuring Keanu Reeves besides the uh, spiffing Brit would be robot chickens, uh, Keanu Reeves sausage. Oh yes. Oh, yes. it's beautiful, and it has like every every character actor in the world who's like enjoying his sausage, um, including William Shatner and Christopher <laughs> Walken. It's just it, it's a thing of beauty. It really is. <laughs>
2: have you ever heard of The Room?
3: I have.
1: I have. I've well, no, I've seen The Room. That's a hilarious. That's uh, a yeah. uh, Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. Um,
6: Weisau, yeah. Yeah,
1: it's or like We so or whatever did you <laughs> do you know how he's uh what his tagline was
6: Mm-mm.
1: the best toned buns in Hollywood
2: oh my word <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love the humility wow
3: uh,
1: <laughs> I mean I what's the thing about anyway?
2: I'm not even sure. I just know he's like, I didn't do it. I did not.
1: I did not (laughs) do it. I did not (laughs) not do it. But that
6: kind of
2: like bad acting, that's like Keanu Reeves and Much to Do About Nothing. Oh, hi,
6: Mark. (laughs) Oh, hi, Mark. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Well... But going back to the to the the question of you know, so I definitely believe in ghosts. I have encountered ghosts my entire life, and the area I grew up in is just completely rife with them or at least some type of spirit i've have certainly felt demonic oppression before a few times in my life. I have interviewed people that have claimed to have been possessed not by a demon, but rather by a purely selfish entity called, which they refer to as a Dibbuk.
2: Oh, like the Dybbuk box? I thought that was just something
1: they, they did for TV.
2: It was a Jewish folklore or something like that, right?
1: Okay. Yeah, Change, uh, it's supposed
5: Dybbuk. to be a the ghost of a witch, correct? The Dybbuk itself, isn't that isn't that the background of it? I, I thought it
2: was more like pent-up bad energy or something, but I could be wrong.
5: Well, the Dybbuk's box was meant to be a, a holder, a, you know, basically a cell for a negative mm. spirit. But mm-hmm. I don't think it was meant to be for a demonic spirit. I think it was meant for a, I want to say a witch, but...
1: What did they say the experience of being possessed by a Dybbuk was?
3: Uh, So this was in my interview with the demon folklorist. Mm -hmm. Um, she, She was fascinating, but she said that there was a weekend in which they actually like she has no knowledge of i think it was 48 hours of her life and she suddenly just woke up in a hospital and she had been accused of doing like the craziest of things that she has no memory of whatsoever and she, you know, she she has some pretty like complex rules of how she evaluates the dem- demonic entities, especially in folklore. Um, so I'll let you decide whether, you know, those are valid or not, but it was interesting. And then I have also, um, you know, spoken with others who have performed an exorcism on someone who claimed to have been possessed by a gen.
2: Oh, wow.
1: So, I, I don't mean, uh, I- But they were thinking of the gin as djinn? being an entity, another another resident of the Paranormal Zoo. Right. I mean, not in the same cage, we're down here in the gin territory, okay? <laughs> Come buy your gin feed, but they- <laughs> You know, that's, that's the paranormal zoo part of this. And yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to get through that. talking to, I mean, many hardcore Christians, they don't want to think about anything existing other than demons. That's
2: and sometimes they don't even want to think of that.
1: That's all that exists. That's very
5: true, Joss. So according to Britannica, the Dybbuk in Jewish folklore is a disembodied human spirit that because of its sins, wanders relentlessly until it finds a haven in a body of a living person so the dybbuk box would be when you exercise a dybbuk this is not in the britannica part but mm-hmm. my guess is when you exercise it out it would be to capture it and maintain it mm-hmm. so that it can't inhabit anyone else
6: it's like the uh the, the ghostbusters toaster <laughs>
5: Now, this yeah. is not, <laughs> right. right, exactly, this is a Ghostbusters box. Um, the, I don't know, you know, I, I grew up in, in different Protestant churches. I don't know that they didn't believe in ghosts. Um, I think that it wasn't talked about a lot. I've known many Protestants who have had ghost experiences and did not attribute them to the demonic and i I know that you know my dad when i spoke with him because you know we talked occasionally about the investigating i did and he was a particular fan of it but he once gave me his opinion and he thought that the the spirits that i was interacting with and now he was strongly protestant southern baptist uh he his thought was that those were the people that weren't going to heaven, that these mm-hmm. were condemned souls, and and therefore they were restless down here, which would be similar to what this is saying uh, about the divot. Mm-hmm.
3: There is, I forget the name of the movie, but there is a I'm pretty sure a Polish film that depicts the, pos, uh, the possession Of a person by a Dybbuk. Uh, And it was all, it all took place at a wedding. It, It was a rather boring movie, except for the Dybbuk piece of it.
5: I have to look that up. Well, and we've talked about, I can't remember which episode, we've talked about possession by human spirits before and whether that was possible or not. And I don't remember if that was on the rundown or ending the curse, but the idea that could a spirit possess someone and it's it's but it's a difficult one. Right. I mean, my my reaction was the only way I can see it easily is. You know, if you were doing something like astral projection and you were outside of your body, then maybe that opens up an opportunity for a spirit to enter your body. True. Uh, that is a very human three-dimensional way of looking at things <laughs> and through, the spirit uh, world invitation. probably doesn't work quite like that.
6: What was that, Josh? Uh, or, or through in invitation, inviting it. True.
3: I'm not even sure if that would work. Now, of course, I'm gonna go on a limb and just say, I don't know any of this crap for sure. I don't think anyone does, unless you have a heck of a lot of like mystical power that I don't know anything about, which is entirely possible, not saying it's not, but I don't know. I have met individuals that claim that you know demons are really more elemental forces mm. but i have never heard of anyone who has willingly said oh yeah i've been possessed
1: by a a human based spirit before would you that that these are the sort of things that i <clears throat> i have no trouble believing that someone was possessed mm. by something or right at least went through a psychological state, a period of time where they believe themselves to be possessed by something. Okay, both of those are completely possible states of being. Yep. But I have no idea how people attribute this to a particular thing, if once again it hasn't announced itself.
6: Hmm
5: even if it announced itself which you
1: trust well, which, which could be lying yeah right
2: yeah. there's a very interesting case in india of a supposed possession by another person yeah. and uh it was this woman i think her name is shiva and she um supposedly died like they had people tending to her, they were about to get ready to get her prepared for a burial they had checked her pulse and it wasn't there And I think she was dead for, like, 40 minutes, and she suddenly woke up. And when she woke up, she spoke completely differently. Like, she was in a small village in India somewhere, and she spoke like a very educated woman. And she didn't recognize her husband, and she didn't recognize anybody. And she ended up staying with them for a long time, and a a man in the city nearby heard about the story, and he was like, you know what, I'm just going to go check this out, because something's off about this and he had a daughter who had been killed and I don't think he ever found her body and he went and visited her and she called him father and he spoke to her and showed her pictures and she recognized and could name every person in the pictures
1: it was like she became a different person
2: yeah it was like she was possessed by this dead woman who had been murdered supposedly
5: Did the I have either heard this story or a story very very like similar yeah, this I've, was I've,
2: actually studied by like a university and it's you know people touted as a case that you know couldn't be solved because they couldn't pr- disprove that she was a different person and there was a lot of evidence to suggest that she was you know did hmm.
1: she ever have moments of time where she seemed to be the old person
2: not that i heard of not when i heard about the story um, to me, from what I heard, I mean, the family just kind of kept her out of charity, you know, but they, like, she eventually was kind to her children, but she didn't recognize them. She told the family, like, you're not my family. You're not my husband. Man, and that would be
5: rough. This is a different was, one. So I've heard another story like this, but then the, the woman went to live with the previous
1: family. Yeah, that's the one I'm thinking about.
5: Yeah, so that's two with different her old stories. Family, yeah.
1: Um, mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, maybe she did after she met, you know, her quote-unquote dad. But yeah, I mean, they thought it was weird because the way that she spoke, you know, this woman had lived in this village for her whole life. And she spoke like someone who had went to college and the dead woman had.
5: So the question would be, is that, well, that wouldn't be what we would think of as traditional possession, right? Mm Because she wasn't taking over an inhabited body. She, right. waited until she waited until
1: the body, until yeah, the body was vacant, right? Yeah,
2: that's true. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Which now, I know there's an a, interesting there's a too. case in the United States of a a girl who agreed to share her body with the spirit of a woman mm-hmm. who had been murdered. Mm-hmm. Think I so, heard about that, so that she could have time to be with her family and to try to solve this murder. And I yeah, can't, I think I heard about
2: that. And I
1: can't think of the name of what that is, but I mm-hmm. can find it.
5: It just sounds like a Netflix
1: movie. It, right? does. it really does sound like a Netflix <laughs> movie. Yeah. It's crazy. It, it really does. I got, I got, uh, but life, life is time. crazy. <laughs>
5: I mean, well, it, it, that is the thing. You, you, you talk about, okay, here's a woman who inhabits a... A deceased body and then is somewhat verified by the father by things they know the way they talk who they are it's just like um, the uh, reincarnation stories where Mm -hmm. someone knows a life that they possibly could there's no way they could possibly know it right yeah and details from like the one that was a pilot the kid that you know yeah. told mm-hmm. the the battle how the plane went down, knew the plane inside and out. All this stuff. Oh, wow. I mean, these things are crazy, and it, it you do have to question what is going on. There's there's definitely seems to be more than just well, there's people who are alive and there's demons, and and I
1: think that's the case.
2: Yeah, the, I mean, that's how you would test. You know, I wait, wait, the,
1: wait. So, you, so Dave, you you're the you're part of the binary camp, alive demon, nothing in between. No, no, I'm <laughs>
5: saying you have to think that there's more than that. Oh yes, yes, more yes, than yes, so live I, I people uh-huh. and demons. There's, yes, so I agree. There's, there's got to be more.
1: Well, look, I have an experience that I haven't told you about, or JJ about, or George about Ooh. anything, and I'm not sure I'm going to talk about it tonight because it's going to take too long. <laughs> but it, it has placed me in. The category of people who know without any question at all that cryptid animals exist. There's no 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 question here at all. I think you've been holding out, man. I have, and I'll tell you why I've been holding out. I've told the story to well, one, two, three people, all of whom immediately treated me like they had never known me before. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's unfortunate.
1: I don't think that's gonna happen with this group. Fit. Well, that's why no, I've no. kind of that's why I've kind of taken my time. But anyway, they they immediately treated me like I don't know you, I don't like you, you're either crazy or you're lying to me. And when you're treated that way by one person, you say okay. When you're treated that way by two or three people, you just say, I'm not gonna tell this story. <laughs> I <laughs> 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 just need to meet nicer people. That's all. Yeah. Uh, I'm
2: extremely open-minded. I, I, guess,
1: I, told, I guess I told I guess I guess I told Val a very short version of it. Hmm. And he I'm sorry, that's a funny look in your face.
5: I'm I'm waiting to see if he was one of the three people. I can't imagine Val being one of the three you described.
1: (laughs) No, Val was not one of the three people I described. But he was in the Val... Look, I, I really like Val. I think Val's one of the best people I've met in a long time. But he does get deep into whatever story he's telling at the time, whatever he's going through, and can be hard to get him to come up from that. That's when I told him the story, and I'm not even sure that it really kind of stuck. Sunk, in. sunk in. Went deep, know. yeah. Um, and of course, I mean, when you've got some of the, you know, Val's the guy that's screaming freak at a nine-foot Bigfoot up in a tree.
6: <laughs>
5: <laughs> Jess, we did this interview with Val Zavala, <laughs> And I mean, this is a guy who's credible, right? He's got a background in law enforcement. He's dealt with international agencies and trying to find people. I mean, he is very reputable. And he was out on a hunting trip and He's in this tree and he looks over and there's a bigfoot in a tree across from him and his reaction is to start cussing it out and yelling wow. at it.
6: He calls <laughs> it a freak
5: and he's like <laughs> you know
1: it was it was very yeah, a it, very funny wild. story. It was a little Anyway, anyway, um I I wonder how many stories there are. Things that people have experienced. They've tried relating it to one or two people immediately been shut down hard. Oh yeah. And then they just this they just don't tell it to anyone else. And I know that I will hear quite a few podcasts, you know, where some people can call in and tell their stories. And one of the most common things you'll hear them say is, Oh gosh, it feels a lot better just to talk to somebody about this without being called mm-hmm. crazy. Um these are people who carried these stories around for most of their life. Mm. I know that
5: uh, my my grandfather on my mom's side. I mean, they they grew up in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, we're hollow mm-hmm. back in the woods, yeah, right. And I remember. I don't remember the stories, but I know that you know after late nights of you know passing a jar around
1: (laughs) uh, when, when people start to speak freely cards
5: (laughs) and, you know, the, the crickets are going in the background and you're, you're, you're in the middle of nowhere and you get around the, the, the kitchen table stories would be told. And they're, they're not, they've, they've all had some kinds of experiences, but they're not experiences that they, they, they talk about at the, you know, after church sunday brunch right there are there are stories that they talk about when they're in a comfortable safe environment with family right. or mm-hmm. or close friends and and to, you know to your point Vic. sometimes even then those stories are are kind of shunned but that yeah there's so many more stories out there than we ever get and people don't talk about it. even in today even today, I've known people that, well, I really don't want to talk about that because people will think I'm crazy. People who have had paranormal experiences and look how accepted it is today in the world. It's on TV. It's on the internet. It's everywhere.
1: Well, when, when you have a group of friends and you, know you you feel very comfortable with them, you don't want that to go away. You, you don't sure. want, you don't want that feeling of comfort and acceptance to go away. And um. that's why I've never told this.
5: <laughs> no, Vic I promise I won't treat you any
1: differently I don't think don't think. at least, at least a, a 65% chance right?
5: uh, no 70 70%. 70
1: okay well it is 11.50 that gives us about a two hour show Jess um, have you been treated well
2: yes I have I've really enjoyed it I love these types of conversations. Is there
1: anything you would like to talk about prior to our calling an end to this particular episode?
2: I did have another theological thing in mind. Hopefully it's not, you know, too long.
5: Oh, but I was
2: going to ask your opinion on, um, a lot of people think, you know, they say like there's a different God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. What do you think about that? Do you think that there's a drastic difference to you when you read it, or do you
1: not? Well, I think that, and I've been ridiculed for this view too, Um, I think this Bible is at least partially the story of mankind as well as the story of God.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And mankind changes over time. Mm
6: -hmm.
1: The, the, The moral basis by which mankind can live his life is different in the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament Bible. So, no, I, I don't think we're talking two different deities. I think we're talking the the further development of mankind over time.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mainly heard it from people that are like atheists and all, and they're like, to me, it seems like God changed too much and
1: that makes some pause. Well, I mean, one of the one of the uh, uh, topics in the paranormal rundown list is um find it. Uh where did it go? Oh, I've got it in quotes. I'm sorry. But the topic is uh, your god is a monster. Mm.
5: And, Do, does that go alongside the theodicy discussion?
1: Well, but, <laughs> well, pretty much. I mean, but it's a it's a pretty common atheist slash Generation Z mantra, right? You know, the, the, your god is a monster. You know? Yeah, uh, and I've I just finished reading your Bible, and bam! I'm more moral than your god. Mm-hmm. Um, or it can be used.
3: And this is what grinds my gears more than anything, is when people take the Hebrew Bible to be subservient or just you know, not nearly as important as the the Christian New Testament, Mm -hmm. and that kills my soul. Um, Mm -hmm. I do not believe in that whatsoever. Do I believe it's the same deity? Yes, yes, I do. Um, I do like Victor's point that it does reflect, I mean, we all have sits and Leibniz. We all have the situation in time where we have ideas that are prevalent and running amok. We see such a wide change even between ancient Judaism and second temple Judaism. They might as well be two entirely
1: separate religions at that point. And two different civilizations. Yeah. In terms of, of their view of the world, their view of their obligation to each other, their view of obligation to God, very different. Yep. When I
5: look at it, I, I buy into the the entire view of of God the Father. I extend that view in my view of the religion as a whole of Christianity. We're the children, right? And from the time. We left the garden, we've been growing up mm. as a society. And just like how you treat your children when they're three years old is different than how you treat them when they're 10. And that's different than when they're teenagers. And that's different than when they're, you know, 30 years old, which my children aren't that old yet for the record. <laughs> Yeah, they, they will get there sooner than you but can imagine. we will get there, um, but it, you treat them differently. You let them have different information, and you have to think about society as a person, almost, who is growing. Society has systemic knowledge, culture, that has certain abilities to think a certain way. And as it grows and matures, its understanding of God is going to be different. And God, I think, will present himself to society differently through time as they are able to understand more. That's my view
6: of it.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's probably very close to mine. I think he just adjusted over time. And I agree with JJ, I think the Old Testament's severely underrated. I feel like people don't put enough time and effort into it in a lot of Protestant Christian circles.
6: That's true. Yeah, you have a lot of um a lot of churches that are all like New Testament only. And I'm like, you you can't have the new without the old. I mean Yeah, that's it a, doesn't is, work that you, way. You
1: can't. It is, that had to come from somewhere.
6: And you're just
2: I missing don't... out on your whole culture and history of, you
5: know, Christianity. It's interesting. I I, I didn't experience that in, in pretty much any of the churches that I went to, whether it was Presbyterian or Baptist, Southern Baptist, um, Lutheran. I mean, there was always Bible study that was done in the Old Testament in different stories. Um, now, I think the the focus on how to live your life is more on the New Testament, mm-hmm. and you know the focus on a loving God, but those those stories in the the Old Testament are there, you know, and yeah, I I, I think most, but you know, I I haven't gone to a lot of more modern Protestant churches because, well, they annoy me. So <laughs>
2: yeah, it wasn't so much that they acted like the stories didn't exist; it's just the regular. You know, church goer didn't put much time into studying it for themselves and becoming more acquainted with it um, because they felt more comfortable with the New Testament. You know,
1: have you ever read In the Penal Colony by Franz Kafka?
6: No, I have not. No, no, I have not. I think read. the
1: only Kafka I
5: read was Metamorphosis. Uh huh. And I think after that, I chose not to read Kafka.
1: That was probably a wise decision. <laughs> uh, in in the penal colony is a story of a penal colony, and their method of execution is they will uh, place you in this huge machine. Which is essentially
5: We're back to executing
1: again. Which I was is, just about is, to say which that is <laughs> a, essentially a huge sewing embroidery machine. Ooh. And has this big arm, and it will, over a period of many days, sew into your skin and into your body the crime you've committed in deep detail. And so you have days and days of torture of this crime being placed into your body. Now, the, the state finally says, "Yeah, that's probably not really quite fair to do that why don't we humanize this somewhat and the commandant of the penal colony says no you're not you know this is the way that we're supposed to do things this is what is ordained and before I'll let you shut it down I'll get in the machine myself and we'll have the machine embroider my body and so according to those people who love to break apart literature this is a metaphor for the uh, the God of the old book and the God of the new book,
6: mm.
1: and and <clears throat> that Kafka was saying that well, before you can have the God of mercy and the God of love, you have to uh, actually kill the God of vengeance. Um, mm have to actually kill the god of vengeance and uh, so i can't take that any further i i just thought it was uh, at least a little bit appropriate to this conversation and just i think yeah. that's a, one of the best questions we've ever had somebody come up with on this show
2: oh great awesome that's yeah, a good one
1: <laughs> definitely very very good question very good. well okay i think um well l-
3: let me say one last thing uh, this is why i steadfastly refuse to use the the words old testament i abhor them with every fiber of my being it to, at least to me in further invalidates the the jewish faith and implants this idea of one is more valid than the other. Mm-hmm. It's also why I refuse to use AD and BC, and it has to be CE and BCE. But th- this is me speaking. I'm not saying anything is right or not.
1: But I understand, it, JJ, and I actually do try to moderate my speech, but you know that I'm not using it in a derogatory fashion.
3: Oh, no, no, no. And I, I'm not I, I, anyone here is. I don't want to give that impression. Please
1: don't take it like no, that. I'm not. I, I'm just saying that when you've grown up in the South and <laughs> right. you, you've oh, heard the terms Old Testament, New Testament
5: your whole life. Oh, Here's another me. aspect of that, JJ. And and there's a question in this, because you've said this a lot recently, and, and I have a really hard time bringing myself to not say Old Testament. Yeah, me too. But Isn't there a slight difference between the Old Testament and the full Hebrew Bible? No.
2: Isn't it in the order of the There's no
5: books books difference at all. There's no, nothing different at all. Mm -hmm. No, there's
3: not. In fact, if uh, the only difference that you find is between the Catholic and Protestant books and Protestant and the the apocryphal books. The apocryphal.
6: Mm -hmm. Correct. Okay. The uh, deuterocanonicals canonicals.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, but well, the, Hebrew, the, old, the the old the quote unquote Old Testament is still made up of the it is still the Tanakh the, the writings the you know the, the law and the prophets.
2: They're arranged in a different order, right? Uh, I
3: thought they it, were. It could be. I'm not saying that. I think
2: I had read at one point they kind of ordered it a little differently. And I kind of liked how the Jewish Tanakh did it. It made a lot of sense.
1: One of my favorite movie scenes, and I'll probably end up watching it four or five times (laughs) tonight, is Chariots of Fire, where Eric Little is getting ready to, which is a great, great story, is getting ready to run the race that he was running. Because he couldn't run on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And Jackson Schultz comes up to him. Jackson Schultz was an American sprinter who was a, a very devout Christian. Comes up and hands him a note. This really happened. And uh, Eric reads it and he says, It says in the old book, He who honors me, I shall also honor. And then of course he goes out and he wins the race. But, I don't know. There's There is something kind of nice, I think, when Jackson Schultz says says in the old book because it is older mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know what I, mean? I mean it's mm-hmm. it's existed on earth longer yeah so I, I will
3: say that I, I had an equally hard time adjusting my speech and I am not one that believes in political correctness it's not that by any stretch of the imagination it is I, I think part of it was uh, Went like at Harvard, the vast, uh, a a, a rather large contingent of my colleagues were of the Jewish faith and professors of the Jewish faith. And you learn really quick not
1: to look like a dumbass in front of (laughs) (laughs) you. I'll put it that way. That's the best way I can phrase it. (laughs) No, I can understand that. That's a, a high pressure environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so all, first, because you're dealing with people who are look very different from the kind of people you grew up with in Tennessee. Oh, as different as night and day. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. I mean, very, very, very different kinds of people. And there are also people with whom you want to share your intellectual and spiritual energy. So you're Absolutely. trying to you're you're trying to make that connection as smooth and as comfortable as possible so yes i'd probably go through the trouble of, of making that change also so well everybody i sure do appreciate your time josh please tell your dad that i i hope he feels better um mm-hmm. and uh yes i'm really happy to uh to have met you uh, your, your brothers talked a great deal about you actually
2: Oh, great. It was a pleasure to meet all of you as well. The show's really fun.
1: All right. Glad well, to hear it. Well, I guess I will shut it down unless anybody has anything else. Good night.
3: Y'all have a great good night. night. Have Take a good care. one, y'all.
0: Hello, this is Cedric Dankwensmyth. Well, the music you're hearing in the background now is... The Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. As generated by smart sound, therefore I'm not breaking any copyright restrictions. Why, you ask, have you not heard Avalon tonight? Well, she's off at Creepy Little Girl Camp. Happens every few years, that's where she learns to be particularly creepy. Learns all the ins and outs of being a... Preternatural being... It's hard being a pretty natural being when you're eternally seven years old. c 8 don't remember. Anyway, the Paranormal Rundown is a joint production of Vic Manson, J.J. Johnson, Dave Griffith, Father Michael Birdsong, Joshua Birdsong, and whomever else we happened to be able to get our hands out at the time. All the music used in the episode was created either by Lobo Loco or by Smart Sound. Any media clips you were privileged to hear were snagged through the protection of the Fair Use Doctrine, an exceedingly useful thing. Please write to us at feedback at ParanormalRundown.com. If you have a particularly interesting view of the world, if you've experienced Bigfoots or lake monsters or aliens or duendes or just dang near anything else, let us know. If you just think all of this is hoo complete ridiculousness, give us a call. We'll make you a part of the Paranormal Rundown. In fact, to be honest, we've really been looking for someone who's an absolute materialist, reductionist, atheist kind of guy. You know, there's so much fun to be around, but we would like to have that particular viewpoint represented on the Paranormal Rundown. Until next time, this is Cedric Dankworth Smith saying goodbye to all my fast and wonderful friends out there in the paranormal rundown world.